Almighty. God is good all the time. I want to invite you, uh, as we look to the word of the Lord this morning, to, to turn to a small Old Testament book called Habakkuk. Habakkuk. It's in the Old Testament towards the end. If you get to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you went too far, you got you to gotta turn to, to the left. Habakkuk chapter 1 is going to be our focus in the word of the Lord this morning. And I'm titling our study this morning, Lessons for the Trenches. Lessons for the Trenches. Someone say trenches. A trench uh, is... A ditch on the side of the road, typically. It's a hole. A ditch on the side of the road. And how many know that at different times in our journey, life can throw us in the trenches? Have you had anybody been ever thrown symbolically, metaphorically, emotionally, spiritually, maybe even physically, into a trench, into a ditch, into a pit. If you haven't, just keep on living, and eventually life will throw you in the trenches. And while you're there, my brothers and sisters, there are certain things that we need to remember. While you're in the trenches of life, and we're all going to pass through the trenches of life, sometimes our friends throw us in the trenches. Sometimes our neighbors throw us in the trenches. Sometimes just because of our dumb decisions, we pick ourselves up by the collar and throw ourselves in the trenches. Hello, somebody. Can anybody tell the truth and shame the devil? Live long enough, you will be thrown in a trench. But while you're there, while you're there, there are some convictions that we need to cling on to. There are some things that we need to remember. And I want to empower you this morning, those that are in the sanctuary, those that are watching online. I want to empower you this morning with the written word of God, the Lord's word to help us. We're turning to the prophet Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. And it's interesting that Habakkuk was an Old Testament prophet that lived during a time of devastation. He lived during a time where his people were suffering. He lived during a time where his people were being slaughtered. He lived during a time where his people were being destroyed. And at the time that Habakkuk writes this letter, he is stricken with grief. He is stricken with sorrow. He is stricken with confusion. I would dare say he probably had not slept for days before he read, uh, wrote this letter. In fact, this book is not really a book. I would suggest that when you read this entire three chapters, uh, it is more of a personal journal that reveals Habakkuk's wrestling with God. Are you following along this morning? It's a journal that reveals his wrestling with God. And it, this, these three chapters reveal his pain and reveal his hurt and reveal his, his frustration. And they also 
reveal his questions for God. Has anybody ever here wrestled with God? Anybody ever had a wrestling match with God? Live long enough, and eventually you will dare to wrestle with God. And it's interesting that this particular prophet, although he is a prophet, he does not have any words for the people. Typically, when you talk about a prophet, a prophet receives words from God for the people. But when you read this letter, Habakkuk has no words for the people. Instead, he has words for God. The whole letter is an exchange between Habakkuk and God. God and Habakkuk. Are you following along? There's two major questions that Habakkuk br brings up in this small little journal of his. Two major questions. He says, why God? Why God? He cries that out. Why God is the first question that he brings up. And then secondly, the, the major question that he has is, how long God? How long God? He cries these two questions out. Why God? Why is this happening? How long God? How long must I experience this? It's interesting read the Bible, many people of God have wrestled with the Lord with these same two questions. King David in the Bible had these same questions in Psalms 13, verse 1 through 2. David, he cried out in the midst of his anguish. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle in my soul with my sorrow in my heart each day? Even David understood what it meant to wrestle with God. How long, God, must you be hidden from me? I don't know if you have ever wrestled with God, but live long enough. And you will find yourself wrestling with God. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 1 through 6. I'm going to read it and just follow along. I hope you brought your Bibles or your phones that have your Bibles in it. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1 through 6 reads, The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Now listen to God's response in verse 5. Listen to God's response in verse 5. This is God speaking back to him. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it were told to you. For indeed, indeed, someone say indeed. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. I want to give you this morning in our study two lessons for the trenches of life that I find in this exchange 
between Habakkuk and God in this first six verses. It's so rich with spiritual nutrients that I could only bring out two for this morning, but I'm sure there's many, many more nuggets in this passage of Scripture. But let me, let me just give you two lessons for the trenches. Someone say number one. Number one, God is always working whether you realize it or not. So number one, I want you to catch this. I want to plant this in your spirit. I want to plant this in your mind. Some of you are in the trenches right now, and you need this conviction. You need to cling on to this precept, this principle, this biblical uh, 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 truth that God is always working whether you realize it or not. Habakkuk's major complaint against God is, where are you? Why are you silent? Why, why are you not doing anything right now? Don't you see what we're going through? Don't you see my pain? Don't you see my tears, God? Where are you? He charges this against God, and Habakkuk has the nerve to charge God with being a deadbeat God. He has the nerve. To charge God with being an absentee God. Where are you? How come you're not doing nothing? God answers in verse 6. He answers and he says, Behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Someone say Chaldeans. In other words, this is God's response, okay? He, he says, I am working. I am doing something. Whether you recognize it or not, whether you see it or not, I am doing something. Whether you feel it or not, whether you can see it or not, I am doing This is God's response to Habakkuk, the one who has the audacity to question God's presence and activity in his life. God, thank God that he has mercy on enough not to squash us when we question him. Thank God for his mercy. He allows us to enter into his altar and talk to him. He could easily squash Habakkuk and say, were you there where I formed the earth? Were you there when I created the universe? No, you weren't. Instead, in his mercy, in his grace, God responds in verse 6. He says, I am raising up the Chaldeans. That's the God we serve. Just because you don't think I'm working doesn't mean I'm not working. That's what he's basically saying. Just because you don't think I'm not working doesn't mean I'm not working. Just because you cannot recognize my work doesn't mean I am not working. Just because you cannot sense me doesn't mean I'm not there. Just because you cannot see my fingerprints at this very moment in your life doesn't mean my hand is not upon your life. The Bible teaches that God is always working. For the Lord neither slumbers nor sleeps. Even Jesus taught in, in John chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said, my father is always working. Someone say always. You know what that means in the original Greek? It means always. The 
Apostle Paul confirmed this truth in Philippians 1, 6. He says, and I am certain that God who began the good work with you. Notice who started it. It was God. God started it and he will finish it. Who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. God is always working whether you realize it or not. Back to Habakkuk. God says something in verse 5 that is astounding. He says something in verse 5 that is mind-boggling. In verse 5, God says, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if it were told you. In other words, God tells them, even if I told you what I'm doing, it is so big you wouldn't even believe it. <laughs> that's the God that's working. That's our Lord. Even if he told you what he was doing, it is so, as my son says, ginormous. You wouldn't even believe anyways. See, if you stay faithful to God, in the midst of your affliction, if you stay loyal to God and you keep praising the Lord, you keep worshiping the Lord, you keep standing on his word, you remain holy in the midst of your affliction. Listen, God is doing something in your life that is so big you wouldn't even believe it anyways. But the Bible says no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has in store for those who love him even believe it if God showed it to you. So why are you demanding a sign, Habakkuk? Just know, just know that God is always working. I remember um, a couple days ago, my wife and I uh, just celebrated my 13th year of freedom from a prison life sentence to the glory of God. July 1st, 2008, God set me free from a prison life sentence after 16 years in prison. And I was 16 when I went to jail, 32 when I got released. And I can still remember uh, the minutes after I was sentenced to life in prison. I can still see it in my mind's eyes when they escorted me to a little holding tank and I was by myself just sentenced to life in prison and I threw a Habakkuk. I remember I began to stomp, I began to stomp around the holding tank like this. I was 17 years old at that time. I began to stomp and I began to cry out to God. I said, God, where are you at? God, why didn't you do anything? God, how come you didn't do anything in there? Where are you at? How come you didn't, how come you didn't intervene, God? My dad taught me about you when you were little, but you didn't do nothing. My dad took me to church, and they told me about you, but you didn't do nothing. God, where were you at? This was moments right after I just got sentenced to life in prison, and I, and I did a Habakkuk. I questioned God, where are you? How come you didn't do nothing? I was stomping. I was literally stomping. 
pounding my chest. I even, I even had the nerve to have my finger up at God like this. And did you know, if somebody from 2021 would have went back into time in 1993, September, when I just got sentenced to life in prison, and if they would have miraculously, hypothetically, came into that cell and said, Brian, don't trip. Brian, listen. I know it doesn't look like God is there. I know it doesn't feel like God is working. I, Brian, listen to me. I just came back from 2021, and I can see you married for almost 25 years, and I can see you with three beautiful kids, and I can see you owning your own home, and I can see you leading a powerful church, and I can see you going around the world preaching the gospel. Brian, don't trip. Just, just keep believing God. Keep trusting in the Lord. Keep being faithful to God. If that was hypothetically able to happen. Guess what? You know what? To my shame, I wouldn't even believe what they said. I couldn't believe that. I could not see that. I would have probably argued with them. No, you don't understand my pain. You don't understand what I'm going through. No, there's no way that that could happen. And I would have probably held my pain close to my chest like many people do today. The reality is, 2021, married, kids, church, going around the world, and, and my, my purpose has eclipsed my pain. Listen, God is always working, whether you realize it or not. Someone shout amen. Someone say praise the Lord. How many praise God for that conviction that God is working always? How many praise God? Now, now okay, okay, I'm, I'm hold that praise because that was a setup. Hold that praise. I, I hold that praise, okay? Because that leads me to uh, the second lesson for the trenches. You ready for this? We're going to talk like family. Here's the second lesson. You won't always like how God is immediately working. I knew I wasn't going to get a lot of amens out that one. Here's the second lesson. Y'all need to catch this. You won't always like how God is immediately working. Notice what God tells Habakkuk. And I want us to think about what this means, Okay. I'm basically only centering our thoughts around one major verse, okay? But listen to what he says. I want you to think about it. God tells Habakkuk, he says, listen, this is right after Habakkuk charges him. You're not doing nothing. Where are you at? This is what God says. He says, he says look, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Someone say Chaldeans. We've got to think about that. What does that mean? <laughs> what are the implications to that statement? Well, the Chaldeans 
were a people who God used to discipline the Israelites. The Chaldeans, get this, were God's instrument of discipline for his people. The Israelites were rebelling against God, even in his grace, even in his mercy. They would not listen to God. They would not give their attention to God. They begin to be idolaters and worship other things besides God, even though he delivered them from Egypt, even though he fed them, even though he took care of them. The Israelites begin to rebel against God. God loved them so much that he would not, Leave them in their sin to destroy their own selves. God loved them so much that he refused to leave them in their own sin to destroy themselves. So God allowed, he allowed, he allowed the Chaldeans to invade their nation and discipline them. I was going to get a lot of amens out of that one. See, God is always working, my brothers and sisters, but you will not always like how God is immediately working. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, it says, The Lord disciplines the ones he loves. The Lord disciplines the ones he loves. You see, my brothers and sisters, you cannot always rebuke a hard situation out your life. You cannot always rebuke a hard situation out your life. You cannot always pray away a hard situation out of your life. Sometimes God uses hard situations to get your attention to line you back up with his will. I've learned this through the word, but I've learned this through experience. I've been serving the Lord for some maybe 27 years now, and every time I get too comfortable with the blessings of God, too comfortable with this world, almost every time I get too comfortable with this world, God, God comes along and ruffles my feathers. Somehow or somewhere, he always, he always, somehow, some way. See, the reality is some of us are experiencing what we're experiencing not because of the devil, but because we refused to obey God when we had a chance. The reality is some of us are experiencing what we're experiencing not because of the devil, but because of God. But here's the good news. The good news is, my brothers and sisters, that God disciplines us not to pay us back, but to draw us back. That's the difference between the devil and God. The devil makes you hurt in order to pay you back. God disciplines us not to pay us back, but to draw us back. Draw us back to our knees. Draw us back to worship. Draw us back to the altar of God. Draw us back to serving him. That's why God allows certain things to enter in our life to draw us back. Some of y'all, through situations and circumstances, are being drawn back to the altar of God. And it's time for you to be 
altered. Some of y'all get that later. I'm going to repeat it. Some of y'all are being drawn back to the altar of God because it's time for you to be altered. The days of just doing your own thing and going about your way, having a former religion but denying the power thereof is over. When you come to the altar of God, you're supposed to be altered. You're supposed to be changed. You're supposed to be transformed. And God is calling you back to the altar to alter your soul and your life. Come up with your hands up. You won't always like how God is immediately working. Not just because of discipline, but also because of preparation. Someone say preparation. See, God has something for your life that your current state of being cannot handle. I'm going to say that again. God has something for your life that your current state of being, emotionally, spiritually, and maybe even physically, is not able to handle. God wants to bless you, but your current state of being cannot handle it. God wants to give you that vision. God wants to give you that spouse, but your current state of being cannot handle it. God, God wants to give you that money that you need, but your current state of being cannot handle it. God wants to give you that job, but your current state of being would not be able to keep up with that job. You wouldn't even get up early to go to work. But what does he do? He puts us through a process of transformation, preparation, to get our state of being up to par to be able to handle the blessing of God upon our life so that the blessing don't turn into a burden. Is anybody picking up what I'm putting down? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, the scripture says, And after you have suffered a little while, someone say little while. By the way, everything you see with your natural eye is temporary. Everything you go through is temporary. That's why you don't make permanent decisions on temporary situations. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, get this, restore, strengthen, and establish you. I love that. Restore, strengthen, and establish you. We praise God for those things, but don't forget you're going to have to suffer a little while. See, God plays the long game, not the short game. God works from the perspective of eternity, not immediacy. We operate from, from, from the perspective of here and now, here and now. We want things here and now. We cannot wait. We want it here and now. We, li we live in this microwave, drive through generation. We don't just have one drive through line. McDonald's has three drive through lines. You know why? Because you all can't wait. But God operates through the eternal perspective of heaven. And he has this big picture. We serve a big picture God. You operate off immediacy. God operates off of eternity. Let me, let me remind you of a lesson I taught you before, and I'll wrap this up. But we remember uh, Joseph in Genesis chapter 37. We remember that Joseph had this dream, had this vision, but his brothers turned on him 
and attempted to kill him. We remember that in Genesis chapter 37, Joseph was thrown into the pit where it was cold, it was lonely, it was hard, it was wet, it smelled like mildew. You ever smelled mildew before? Don't do it. The pit made him cry. He didn't like the pit. It was wet, it was hard, it was lonely, it was dark. He didn't like the pit. The pit made him cry. But what he didn't realize at the moment, my brothers and sisters, is that pit actually delivered him from death. His brothers were initially going to kill Joseph. But Reuben stood up and interceded for him. Reuben stood up and interceded for him. Interceded, stood in the gap for him and said, don't kill him, don't kill him, throw him in the pit. Reuben influenced his brothers to throw him in the pit. And that pit delivered Joseph. That pit saved Joseph. That pit prepared Joseph for the palace. Now, Joseph didn't realize it in the moment. He didn't like the pit. It was uncomfortable in the pit. But he did not realize that God's in his eternal plan. That pit saved him. That pit delivered him. That pit prepared him for the palace. Reuben interceded, stood in the gap for Joseph. Don't kill him. Throw him in the pit. And in that moment, Joseph hated the pit because he didn't realize that that pit was designed to save him, deliver him, prepare him. I posted a picture on Facebook. I'm going to put it up right here a couple days ago of my oldest brother and me. And my oldest brother on the left, his name is David. And this picture was taken, I think, maybe when he was 14 and a half years old, 14 years old. And the picture on the bottom is taken of him dead, being carried out and buried at the age of 15 years old. The picture on top is him, I think, maybe about 14 years old. But the picture on the bottom is him 15 years old, dead, being buried. On the picture of the right is me. I think I'm about 14 years old at that time, too. Same age, approximately, my older brother. But the picture on the bottom is me at the age, I believe, 18 years old, starting my prison life sentence. Are you following along? Are you following along? Picture on the left is my brother, 14 years old, I believe. Picture on the low left is him, 15 years old, dead. Picture on the right is me, I believe, about 14 years old. Picture on the right low is me at 18 years old, about to start my prison life sentence. I believe, I believe that I was supposed to die. I believe I was worse than my older brother. I believe that I should have died like my older brother. But the Lord Jesus Christ stood up and interceded for me because he's the high priest who stands in the gap between the Father and us. And I believe that Jesus stood up for me and said, don't let him die. Don't let him die. Instead, throw him into the pit of prison. 
Throw him in to the pit of prison. Give him a prison life sentence. Listen, in the moment, I didn't like the life sentence. I didn't like prison. It made me cry. It made me hurt. I, it was dark. I was alone. I couldn't sleep. I was by myself. My life was threatened. I was in this pit, and I hated it. But what I didn't realize is that pit was designed to save me, deliver me, anoint me, prepare me, and eventually restore me back to my father. Does this make sense to anybody in here? Listen, you may feel like you've been thrown into the pit. Probably you, you have been. I'm letting you know you're in a good place. I'm letting you know that God has not abandoned you. I'm letting you know that if you stay faithful to the Lord, if you stay worshiping the Lord, if you stay going to Bible study, you stay remaining holy, that that pit is going to prepare you, deliver you, and anoint you, and you're going to come out more powerful than they ever imagined you to be. Stay faithful to God in the pit. Let's bow our heads in the presence of the Lord. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a couple moments. The worship team comes back up. I want us to just think about what God is trying to tell you. What was God trying to get across to you this morning? With every head bowed and everybody seated in reverence to the Lord, this is our time of reflection. every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you felt like you've been thrown in the pit and you either want to surrender your life to the Lord for the first time in the pit or you want to rededicate your life to the Lord in the pit. God does miraculous things in the pit, in the trenches. We serve the God of the trenches. If you're here this morning, well, everybody remains with their head bowed and their eye closed in the atmosphere of prayer and reflection. And you need either to surrender life for the first time or rededicate your life to the Lord. I want to pray with you right where you're at. I want to ask that you just respond to God by standing up by faith. Anybody needs to surrender their life for the first time or rededicate their life to the Lord today, stand up on your feet. Hallelujah, I see you. I see you. Anyone else? The presence of the Lord is here. The Bible says today is the day of salvation.
For those of you who stood up, I want you to look at me for a second. Just look at me for a second. Before I lead you in a prayer, look at me for a second because I want to speak into your life. It is not the end in the pit. It is not the end for you. It is not the end for you. This is only the beginning of a new season for your life. And if you remain faithful in the pit, if you remain loyal to God in the pit, you take one step at a time towards God in the pit, God will use that pit to restore you, to strengthen you, and to equip you for what's next. Don't abandon God in the pit. Cling on to his unchanging hand in the pit. And eventually, you're going to look back and you're going to be like the psalmist who said, I was glad that I was afflicted, that I might learn your word and follow your ways, O oh Lord. I know it sounds crazy right now, but listen, I've been there and I've been stuck like that. But the Lord fulfilled his word for me and he's going to do it for you too. I want to lead you in a prayer of surrender right now. From your heart, say this prayer. Lord God, I am sorry. Please forgive me. I messed up. I didn't listen to you. But today, I turn from my sins. I turn from myself. And I surrender to you. Come into my heart as my Savior, but also my Lord, my Master. And I commit to following after you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me pray over you, Father, in the name of Jesus. I pray. I pray for those who stood up, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. I thank you for doing a new thing in their life. I thank you for doing a new thing in their life, Father God. And, Lord God, I rebuke the spirit of depression and anxiety right now in the name of Jesus. I rebuke the spirit of depression and anxiety right now in the name of Jesus. And, Father, I loose peace into their life. I lose joy, supernatural joy into their life in the name of Jesus. And Lord, and Lord, they will hold on to you. They will be faithful to you, Father God. They will be loyal to you in the pit, Father. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone says, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand praise. I want to invite everybody to stand to our feet. If you're able, let's stand to our feet to the glory of God. Did you learn anything this morning? Did you anybody learn anything? I want to invite you to invite.